Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to be together. Thanks so much for uh, being here to celebrate Easter with us. Welcome, Fellowship family and guests, whether you've been here for the first time or you've been here for a long time. Many of you are familiar with the resurrection. Some of you have heard this story, but not quite sure what to make about it. And others really don't know, just to be honest. We don't really know about it. So we're going to gather together over these next few minutes and lean in on the reality of what this meant. What really was this that happened 2,000 years ago to men and women who thought Jesus had died and that his life was over? In short, the message of Easter is this simple message. Jesus, the Son of God, has risen from the dead. Do you believe that? I remember traveling, and I've been to Israel five times, and one of the places I go each time is right in Jerusalem. It's called the Garden Tomb, and this is a first century tomb uh, that was much like the tomb Jesus was laid in. And um, as you walk through this this entrance to the tomb, right on the door there, it says, He is not here, for he is risen. And I gather with people, and we uh, celebrate communion in that area. We think about the life and the death of Jesus. And then we walk into that tomb and come out going, you know, just rejoicing, and celebrate the life that we have in Christ. And Paul really talks about what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. What really happened, and how, what did God do through that? And he writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this is kind of Bible code, so if you're not used to looking at the scriptures, we aren't really familiar with what this whole domain of darkness is. It sounds almost like Star Wars to us. And then that whole concept of transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. But here's how I want you to think about kingdom. Kingdom is really a picture of how the world ought to be. How the world ought to be. And my goodness, I'm a dreamer. I absolutely love to talk with people about what's their picture, what's their vision of how the world ought to be. Like for me, I really long for a major spiritual awakening to happen in Topeka, where people come to the knowledge and trust of Jesus Christ, and they live out a life that looks more like Jesus, less like themselves, and where people are transformed, and as a result, there's godly legacies living throughout generations that come after them. I just long for that. But I don't know what your view of the world as it ought to be. As I talk to people, and even as I describe this, you're going to have two sides to this answer of the world as it ought to be. The first one is a world with. It's a world with. And some of us could say, well, it's a world with justice. It's a world with peace. It's a world that's prospering. It's a world that we live in the United States with liberty and justice for all. And we make that statement. But then there's going to be another side to it. And that's a world without, a world without pain, a world without war, a world without rejection, a world without bullies, or if you're in junior high, a world without breakups, right? (laughs) We're going to have that no matter what we're going through in our lives. We'll do that the same in our lives as you think about what's my life, the way it ought to be. We'd explain it in the same thing, my life with, just fill that in, children who sleep through the night. Can we deal with that, people? 
Uh, children who listen the first time. If you're lonely, someone who loves you. If you're discouraged, I need my life with hope. We all have a picture of how my life ought to be, but it also has that whole picture of my life without. Don't we answer that? We go, my life without that person in it. Who's that? I, I mean, as long as that neighbor moves, everything's great in this neighborhood. And we can build this whole life of what's life with or life without. And whenever you dream or process a better world for you or others, you're thinking about this whole concept of kingdom, how the world ought to be. Before I move on, let me just ask a quick question. Why? Why are we so obsessed as people, as humans? Why are we so obsessed with a world as it ought to be? Why do we spend so much time frustrated when it's not as it ought to be? And why do we put so much energy into trying to make this place and even our lives as we think it ought to be? And here's my answer. I think the reason is it's because we were created for it. We were created for a kingdom of a world as it ought to be, as God intended it to be. And God has created us in his image to experience and express life as it ought to be. And this life as it ought to be, as God intended it to be, is the reason why Jesus came to this world. Why he lived a life for us. And here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus did enter this world. He lived a, a life as it ought to be. And he died a death on a cross for people's lives who were not as they ought to be. So that by bringing us back to God in his work, we can again live life as we ought to be. And here's how he did it. He entered our kingdom. He came into this kingdom of darkness and he lived as a person of light. Let's think about the kingdom that Jesus entered in. In the first century, it was the Roman Empire. And I don't know if you've ever traveled to Rome or taken a look at the Roman Empire, but it's massive. It was a massive territory, unlike the world had ever seen. It lasted for 900 years, 900 years, uh, roughly four times the amount of time that the U.S. has been a country. And it was powerful. There, this, if you can even travel today and see the ruins of the Roman Empire— and if you were to describe it, you would describe it with three words. I don't know if you'll get them, but it's power, knowledge, and innovation. We wouldn't know anything about those words in our culture today. But back in the Roman, in the Roman Empire, those were key words. Those were key words because they defined everything that was happening. Like you may have heard if you've studied in the history books, this whole concept of the Latin word Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. And instead of soldiers fighting battles, they could go home and they could build families and cities. And it radically changed what was available for people. You may have even heard of the Roman road situation where they built all these Roman roads that were connected. Today, there's still those roads that exist. And it radically changed how you lived. In, in ancient times, most of your goods and resources and services came to you within walking distance. But with Roman roads, I mean, everything from around the world could come to you. They had this thing called Roman Prime that if you ordered something, it would come in two years or less. <laughs> Sorry. Just wanted to see if you're listening, people. But it brought unprecedented amount of opportunity and choice to people. 
And then there were construction developments that happened. Unprecedented. Still today, you can go and see this empire that survived for so many, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then there were the age of philosophers. The Romans built on the Greek philosophers and just expanded this whole concept of knowledge and brought us into a thinking and a reason, an age of reason for the world that it had never known. Jesus entered that kingdom. He entered that kingdom. How did he do it? Well, his world was very different than theirs. He entered into small places off the grid of the Roman Empire, under the radar. And he went into these places, places like Bethlehem, where he was born, and Nazareth, where he grew up, and Capernaum, where he did ministry, and Bethsaida, and Chorazim, all places that I've traveled to. And folks, these are small places. They, they even, they make Kansas towns look huge. They're small. They're small places. And Jesus lived and talked about a different kingdom. It was a kingdom that was really about the heart, the heart of us expressed in kingdom values. And he really started addressing a new type of kingdom to lead us in our hearts and would bring us key values. Paul talks about them in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Folks, does the world need more of this? Absolutely, the world needs more of this. And this is the kingdom that Jesus said, this is you as you ought to be. He addressed the kingdom of God in each of our hearts. And he confronts that. And he brought this whole new kingdom in on the platform of love and humility and service. Jesus targeted the heart as it ought to be. Most of us are really attracted to this whole concept of my heart as it ought to be. Most of us would say, hey, do you need more love in your life? Absolutely. Do you need this concept of goodness and kindness and peace and joy? Most of us, I really think that's why you got up this morning, because you want more of that in your life. How do we get there? How do we get there? Because here's the reality. Most of us want this type of kingdom We just don't want a king. (laughs) We just don't want someone ruling over us. We don't want someone telling us what to do. We don't want to submit to someone. We think that's really subversive. We don't like to, we don't like to have and, and, and kind of crippling in our lives. We don't like to have rules, regulations. We like to have a desire for a kingdom, but we just don't want a king. Here's our problem. I've learned this over 30 years of ministry and after 54 years of living, Folks, every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom, every life as it ought to be, world as it ought to be, has an external leader, someone outside of yourself who is leading you to a life it ought to be. The problem is, which king is leading you? Which king is leading you? I've seen people led by so many different things. Even in my own life, I've been led by so many different things. I've seen people led and influenced by the king of alcohol or addiction. But I've also seen it relationally move towards acceptance. Or or like I even remember living for several years just in a crippling environment of not wanting to mess up. I was a pastor. I just didn't want to mess up. 
Why? Because I don't want to lead people astray if I mess up. So not wanting to mess up, that's a lousy vision for life. And yet it was such a subversive king that was kind of leading me just not to mess up, to put on a front and ignore really who God wanted me to be. Every kingdom of life as it ought to be has a king, has a king. So the scriptures lead us to a king. Someone who's going to bring in that kingdom of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things. That king is identified in the scriptures as Jesus. Jesus is the king. So what I want to do with you right now is just show you how the Bible presents Jesus. And you can decide whether or not you want to believe that. But I want to, I want to have you at least have you leave this place with a clear understanding of who does the Bible say Jesus is. And I know that this is going to be a lot of words, so hang with me, because this is a passage that we can get very quickly overwhelmed with. And that's okay, because I've been reading it for years, and I'm still overwhelmed with it. It has some big words, so everybody just take a deep breath, buckle up. You ready to go? Okay. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the creator, the firstborn of all creation. He's always been. Then it says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, everything around us, everything we've built. He's the head over all and all things were created in him. All things were created through him and for him. Everything exists to make him greater, to reflect him. And then it says, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the glue that holds everything together. And then he's the head of the body, the church. That's us. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus and puts their faith in him, we're the church. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. I'm an imperfect picture of Jesus. He's the perfect picture of who God is. And how he relates to us. And then it it says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent's a great Scrabble word. You might want to use it if you have two E's. (laughs) Or three. But at any rate... But it's, it's the whole picture that he's first. He, he was there before anything began. And he even went the distance. He put on skin and went to death. So there's never anything we've experienced. There's not any environment we've, we're in where Jesus can't say, me too, I've been there. He is the empathetic king who came to this world. And then it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell that, that when Jesus spoke, it was the very words of God. When he, when he looked at you, God was looking at you. When he walked with you, he was walking. People were walking with him. And then it says, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so he is the one then who went the distance and lived and died for us and brought us all back and declared Peace with the kingdom of God, all because of what he's done for us. So let's just summarize real quick. Are you still with me? Hello? Okay, I didn't lose you in theology this morning. Okay, who is Jesus then? Some believe that Jesus was just a man. But the Bible says he's fully God and fully man. I don't know how that happens, but it just says it. Okay, secondly... Some believe that Jesus is their best friend. 
and he is a best friend, but he's so much more. He is the king of creation, the first and last, the head over all. Some people say, just believe in Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. And Paul says, he is not your Chick-fil-A order taker. (laughs) He is not that person. You don't just pray to him to get him to manipulate to the world you want to have. No, he is the creator of all. All things exist through him, for him, and by him. We serve him. We submit to him. Some say that they're really sorry about the cross, that here our leader was crucified. Isn't that bad how injustice ruled the day and the systems of that world defeated our Savior? And Paul is saying, oh my goodness, that was his best moment. When he died on the cross, he defeated sin and death for us. The author of the universe came into our existence and lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we couldn't pay for. And he rose on the third day and he brought us back. This is King Jesus. He's all this and more. Far more than a mirror man and far greater than all we can imagine. And that's what he did. He did. So, everybody exhale again. I want to tell you a story. How many of you have seen this show, Undercover Boss? Come on, people. There we go. All right. I kind of like it, but I cry every time I watch it. I don't know why. So it's the story behind Undercover Boss is you've got a CEO. They're in a corporate boardroom, and the cameras come in, and they go, okay. And it's usually... They, they exchange jobs, the CEO exchange jobs for someone lower down on the org chart who does day-to-day tasks in that company. And one of the episodes, my first episode was waste management, okay? So you know where we're headed? Waste management. He's the CEO of his multi-billion dollar company, and he's going to go down and he's going to collect garbage. And so they change his appearance a little bit. They put on the onesie. He zips up. He hops on the back of a garbage truck, and it's just classic. Here's this this Harvard-trained guy trying to lift up a, a garbage can, and the guys around him are outworking him 10 to 1. And they're like, man... What are you doing on this job? And he's like, oh, I broke my nail and something like that. And he's complaining about all this. And then there's the sit down where I don't know that you're the right guy for this job. And he hangs his head down as the CEO and all this. And then something happens. This guy starts to relate to the people and you start hearing a story, a story like this. Yeah, my wife uh, was diagnosed with this and we've had so much medical debt that every dollar I make outside of food and shelter goes to pay for that medical bill. And that CEO starts realizing this is a life here. This is not a position. This is a life. And then then they start going, well, I tried to go to college. I tried to go to college four times throughout my life, and I'm still not even a sophomore yet. And I can't afford the opportunity to do that. That's why I do this for a living. Or I've made a bunch of difficult decisions, and I've had some failures, and I'm just making my way back. Or I just have never gotten an opportunity. I, I've outworked people and this guy got promoted. I don't know why. And they, and they expose some unjust systems that are in that corporate environment. And, and then something happens. At the end of the show, they have this huge reveal. And they get the company together, as many of the company who can, who can come. And they get the, the CEO and he's dressed back in the suit. And all the... The day-to-day workers are on stage, and all of a sudden they have the reel. He comes up, and they go, ah, 
I said you don't know how to work. And, and I said you're, you're a lousy excuse for a worker here. And what in the world? And they're expecting all this guilt and shame. And he goes, John, I saw that. And we're going to pay off your wife's medical debt. And guess what happened? I cry. I cry. And then, John, man, you didn't get through college, but we're going to pay for four years of college. Can I cry? And then, John, we're going we're gonna to get you through an executive training program, and we're going to address some of those issues. You've asked us to deal with this, this, and this, and you said it freely, and I'm so thankful. Thank you for telling me that I was unaware, and, we're gonna, and I cry. Why? Because the world, the company, as it ought to be, is happening. It's happening. And it all happened with the reveal. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Jesus was the undercover king. He came into this world. Even his followers, when he was crucified, they went, I don't know about this guy. I left everything for him. He died. And they buried him in a tomb. What do we do? They all scattered around the area. They were afraid. Peter, his number one dude, denies him three times. But something happened on Easter. The resurrection morning, the great reveal. They went, ah, you know, I mean, it's kind of that moment. He's alive and he's the king. He's the king who came into this world and lived a life we couldn't live. He related to us and he comes to us and he says, awaken, come alive to who I am. This is who I am. And this is the life that I've come to give you. Life more abundantly, life as it ought to be, life the way God intended it to be. So what's your response? What's your response if Jesus is the king? I want to give you three. First one is this. You have to come to a point where you realize this king is inviting you in. You could see Christianity as a set of rules and regulations, but all I would say is read the Bible. Read the Bible. Don't always read people. We're imperfect pictures of it, but read the Bible. It really puts Jesus out there as, no, he is the one who lived for us and died for us and rose again. He's the perfect one. We're not. So we've got to realize he's inviting us into his kingdom. He's inviting us to say, you know, the way to your heart is I'm the king. I need to be the king in your heart. The way to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those things we talked about. Life as your life, my heart as it ought to be, is Jesus. Let me lead that. And so in order for that to happen, we have to do something. We have to surrender. We just have to. But, you know, you can view surrender as no longer fighting, declaring peace, no longer resisting. But here's what I'd say is stop trying. Stop trying to build your own little kingdom and surrender to the kingdom of God in your life. I mean, I remember in seminary, in seminary we always think about, you know, Colossians 1 and go through that passage that I just went with through you. And, and I remember one of my seminary professors saying to me, Joe, you don't really know how bad you are until you try to be good. Yeah. It's kind of, you don't know how to love until you try to stay married. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know how selfish I was until I got married. I just thought, okay, everything would be great. Sorry. No, I had to learn to love in a different way. I had to surrender to God's way for me. The way to peace in my life is not just thinking peaceful thoughts. It's living as a peacemaker in life. I have to surrender to King Jesus to lead me there. And and I would encourage you. I don't know where, where you're at in your relationship with God right now. But I would just encourage you to think, who is your king? Because every kingdom, life as it ought to be, your life as it ought to be, has a king. 
wouldn't it be awesome if Easter 2019 was a transfer of kingdoms for you? Where you surrendered to King Jesus and said, you live for me. You died for me. You rose again for me. I believe in you. I trust in you. Secondly, um, and by the way, how do you do this? Romans 10 verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or King and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul wrote this to a Roman Empire who said, I believe in Caesar and Caesar is my God. Caesar is my Lord. He is my King. Every Roman citizen had to pledge that. And Paul is saying, no, Christians, you need to realize that Jesus is your king. He's your king. He's the king of your heart. Confess him. Confess that Jesus is king. I get it. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust and follow you. Secondly, we've got to be willing to follow the king. There's this thought that I can go to church, check a box, and then I can live however I want to be and, and, and live. And I would just say that's a misunderstanding of the king and his kingdom. And so if we're going to surrender to the king, then we have to realize the way to love, the way to joy, the way to peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, it's all through Jesus. He's going to lead me there. And no matter what position a Christian has, it never takes out that we're called to be followers first. And we're only as good of leaders as we're great of followers of Jesus. And I would just say this whole picture of the kingdom coming to us is something that's, that's based on the work of Christ in us and, and us following him in being people who love like Jesus loves. People who are patient like Jesus is patient. People who, is, who are faithful like God is faithful with us. He's the example that we follow. And then rest. Rest in the kingdom that has been given to us through Christ. You know, I've been in church for most of my life. Some of my earliest memories are in church. And after I put my trust in Christ at a young age, I always thought, I got to still be good. Why? Because I got to be good. And I got to keep coming. And if I don't, I'm not going to be in the kingdom anymore. And, and Jesus just wants to say to all of us, hey, you don't get in by your works and you don't stay in by your works. You get in and stay in because of everything I've done. I've been the king who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again. I'm the king who keeps you in my kingdom. Rest in the kingdom of God because God is a God of grace and he invites us into his kingdom. Can I invite you just one moment as you think? I've asked you to think about the world as it ought to be. I've asked you to think about your life as it ought to be. Where are you with this king named Jesus? I want to give you an opportunity just in the quietness of this room, as best as we can, to go personal with this. The message is Jesus is the king. Easter was the great reveal. This undercover king lived with love and humility and with sacrifice to bring us into a new kingdom the way God intended it to be. And I just ask you to make this statement to Jesus. If you really believe it, Jesus, I surrender. Your work, your work on the cross, your work in life, living life the way it ought to be. I believe in you. I trust in you. Secondly, Jesus, I don't know what it's going to look like on Monday, but I'm willing you to follow, follow you today. I'm willing to follow you today, however that looks. I know that the answer to patience in my life, or you name that character trait, goodness or love or peace, that's not within me. That's got to come from you, so lead me. 
however that's going to look. And Jesus, help teach me to rest. Rest. How in the world can I have rest when this is going on in my life? How in the world can I have rest when I don't know the future about this situation? Teach me to rest in you because you're the king. And I want to be a part of your kingdom. I don't know where this message hits you today, but here's what I want to just encourage you. If this was a day when you surrendered to Christ for the first time, I want you to tell someone about that. Whether it's someone who brought you or someone, uh, even we have prayer partners on both sides of the, of the stage here, or even go to the Welcome Center. Um, we, have, we have resources to help you take steps in the kingdom. Tell someone. I want to even give you, if this is the first Sunday you did that, I want to give you the opportunity to be baptized. That's what this big tank is. I'm not going to jump in it, okay? We baptize people after this, each service, and we've done that each service this weekend. Some didn't even come prepared to get baptized, but they just said, I, Jesus is my king. I want to make that public. And so that's what it does. It's a public statement that Jesus is your king and that you're going to live for him. And so we have towels. We can help you with that. If you want to do that, come on up here and talk to someone after. But here's the deal. This isn't just for first-timers. There's never a day that I live that there's not going to be a battle for which kingdom I'm going to live for. And so that's why every day I live has to be a day where I'm willing to surrender to God's kingdom in my life rather than the kingdom I want to build. Every day of my life, it's a decision to love my wife as Jesus loves her and gave up himself for her, to love my kids as Jesus loves them. He loves them better and far in more ways than I can love them. But he teaches me how to love my kids and to love my church and to love those difficult people who live uh, around me or live, actually, I have neighbors here in the room, so it's not you, okay? All my neighbors are perfect neighbors, okay? But it's that one across the way who's not here today, okay? I'm sorry. I had a squirrel just enter my mind. Um, and, and every day is a day where I have to be willing where I have to be willing to rest in his work rather than keep trying and struggling for the world I want to build. See what God is doing? He's building his kingdom through us. And he begins in our hearts, and he moves out into our relationships, and then he moves out into our community, and he moves out into our region. I just think about all the people God has brought into this place this weekend. And I think about all of us, if we surrender, if we follow, and we rest with this king leading our lives, Topeka would be a different place. It would. It would be a place of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and faithfulness and self-control. I mean, we would bring a picture of the kingdom by how our hearts are being transformed. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing each person into this place to lean in on the great reveal of the resurrection, that Jesus is the king. And Lord, we all are building kingdoms, so I pray that we would be a part of yours and that you would be honored, you would be pleased by us allowing you to work in our hearts. So we surrender to you, we follow you, we rest in you, that you would be made greater in our lives and in our world today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and we live. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful Easter.